Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Mentors for Military Podcast. Marty, man, you've been a busy guy here lately. It started off, I think, um, well, it was a couple months ago before we had you on the podcast, but I think it's the last time I really started seeing a lot of the action was around um, Normandy, I think it was, when, since the last podcast uh, that we did together. It was uh, Normandy, and then there was something else. You went over to um, Afghanistan, I think, as well. Yes. Was that last year? Or yeah. not last year now, yeah. but 2018? <laughs> no, it was 2019. Was it? Yeah. You went into Normandy, right? I went to Normandy in 2018 and 2019, but I didn't go to... Last time I was in Afghanistan was 2018. It may have, maybe it was in Afghanistan. Maybe it was someplace else. I've been getting around. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of traveling lately, a lot of trying to get after good stories, and so I've been bouncing around a lot of different places. I, I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I mean... I got to go to the Normandy anniversary two years in a row, though. Um, this last year being the 75th anniversary, significantly different experience than that first year. Yeah. But, yeah, that first year I got back from Afghanistan and betting out there, and then I think it was five or six days after I got back from that, I was back on a plane going over for to, to cover the anniversary. So kind of a strange feeling to go from literally being in a firefight with ISIS to <laughs> about a week later being uh, on the beaches of Normandy, you know, capturing – you know, just a very festive environment. You know, it's it's yeah. just a very different turnaround there. So this had to be a really special. Of course, a lot of the photos that I saw of the Rangers and everything, you know, climbing the wall. That was there were some pretty emotional photos and stuff that I saw, and very authentic looking and everything else. It was it was really cool. Yeah, this was. Uh, I mean, it was even better this year for me because I was able to link up with the three fifty second Special Operations Wing out of Mendenhall in uh, England. So okay. went up with them in a, uh, uh, I think they call it a C-130J, I want to say. Um, but uh, yeah, went up there with them, got to, you know, video uh, a bunch of uh, combat controllers and some other other guys uh, going out the uh, the back for a free fall jump into Iron Mike DZ, which is right outside of St. Mary Glee. Um, so that was really, really cool. Um, 
And then on top of that, we, uh, yeah, we were right on the cliffs there for the Rangers, the active duty Rangers dressed in period uniforms. It was about half of them were in period uniforms. The other half were in modern uniforms. Right. Made for a really cool visual out there. And they actually had the uh, commander of the Rangers who climbed Point de Hoc back in World War II right there in his wheelchair oh, get watching them come up. So, yeah. And then they did a flyover with uh, a bunch of, you know, modern day aircraft and, I mean, it's just, you know, these visual moments. I mean, those are kind of the two big highlights for me, but just these visuals that once in a lifetime, you know, I mean, watching those guys in period uniforms come up over the cliffs and I got to, I got to, you know, kind of snap link in so I could hang right over the edge by my safety line and really see them coming up. And, uh, it just, uh, it was really, really cool. And I mean, on top of that too, um, as the first year that I went out there, it was just me by myself kind of out there as a one man band, as I usually am this year with as big of an event as it was, you know, I talked to Evan Hafer and, and, you know, the powers that be at black rifle, like, Hey, can I bring some people with me? We could get a lot more, a lot more story here, a lot more footage if I, if I had some help. And so he greenlit that. So I was able to go over there with a crew of about six people and, uh, including my, my younger brother, uh, who's a former ranger himself. And, you know, we had a great time, you know, covered a ton of different events, a lot of different ceremonies, uh, talked to a lot of different World War II veterans. Um, you know, it was long, hard days. I'd say we were working 16 to 20 hour days on average, trying to put out daily dispatches, both the daily written dispatch as well as the daily video dispatch, trying to kind of bring that 75th anniversary home to all the folks in the U.S. that, you know, obviously not everybody can make it over for that anniversary. So we tried to bring it to them by pumping that out. But, uh, you know, a lot of hard work, but it was just, you know, memories. We, we were right on Omaha Beach on sunrise on June 6th. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, it just, you know, like I said, the visuals of those things are things I'll never forget them for as long as I live. Yeah. You know? Well, what's cool about that is that you guys really brought it, like you said, you brought it home to us. Because looking at the photos, I mean, I still see the photos out there all the time. Not just that you've taken, but the other that others have taken in... <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Um, I can't imagine being there. I know Mike Pritz, one of the hosts on the show and stuff, had really hoped to get over there and jump in. That was one of his goals that he wanted to do. He's a big history buff and teaches history at, as a teacher. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it this year. I don't know if he's planning on doing it next year, but I think it all had to do, too, with the fact that it's 75 years, you know, that he wanted to be there at that moment. Yeah. But um, and, and then along with that, I, I guess now, too, you're starting to write a book. Or another book. Yeah. No, yeah. We just announced that. Um, what was it? Just right before the new year, I think, uh, that came out. Um, so I wrote last year uh, a article called The Legend of Chief Shannon Kent. Shannon was a uh, naval special operator, intelligence professional who was killed in action in Syria back in January. So it, it's actually a couple days from now will be the one year anniversary of her being killed. Has it been that long? It, wow. Yeah, very recent. Um, so shortly after she died, um, along with uh, three others and, and uh, more injured in the attack, um, her husband, who's also a you know former two seven five guy, uh, recently retired Green Beret, um, he reached out and apparently Shannon had read some of my stuff in the past, and uh, you know he reached out and be like, hey, you know I want to, you know, tell her story. What do you think about coming out and doing an article? Um, so I went down for the memorial, which she was the she's the only enlisted sailor to ever be allowed to have a memorial at the Naval Academy's uh, chapel. 
which I say chapel, it's a massive, wow. you know, you know yeah. thousands of people. Yeah. Um, you know, and to put that into context, the last person they allowed to even do a memorial there was John McCain. So this wow. was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, so I went down there for that, got to meet Joe, meet her family. Um, it was, you know, you know, it was closed to the media. I was the only media person allowed in there. And it was, you know, just to put into context how big of a deal she was. It was like a who's who of special special operations folks in there. Um, hundreds, uh, hundreds of Navy chiefs, specifically chiefs. They called it a sea of khaki. That's what she would have wanted. Um and I learned a lot about the Navy just in general. I didn't know how big of a deal that E7 chief rank oh is. Oh, my God. Yeah, my dad was one, and I, I grew up with that. And I never I, – I understood it a little bit then, but it was a few years later, you know, after my dad retired and stuff, I really started learning how important it is to them, you know, to put on that, that anchor and everything and be a chief petty officer. It's huge, you know. Yeah, you know, in the Army, it's kind of just like, oh, you know, you – went from a squad leader to being a platoon sergeant. It's, right. yeah, you know, kind of another, another step on the rung, so to speak. And, uh, no, for the Navy, it's a big deal. And, and, and apparently chiefs are the only ones that are allowed to wear khakis right. as well as the officers, but they're the only enlisted rank allowed to wear khakis. And so they had a sea of khaki there. And, uh, so I came back, uh, you know, wrote the article and, um, it was kind of a, it was a, it was a long in-depth article. It was, Good. I want to say it was around 6,000 words or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we published that and it ended up being um, uh, by far the most, the, the top performing article of the year for Coffee or Die. Um, hit, you know, the Joe reached out to me, you know, he was really happy with it. The family was happy. The people that served with her, um, you know, there's a few different articles written on her, but they all, uh, I take great pride in the fact that I was told this was the one that they felt really encapsulated who she was. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, so I was real happy with that. And you know, kind of from there, Joe was like, well, you know, I'm looking at doing a book. What do you think about, what do you think about that? And so, you know, we went through the process of, we got a, a, a lit agent and uh, he, uh, Larry, the lit agent, he helped us kind of craft the proposal. Um, we put the, which that's an endeavor in itself. That's like a 15,000 word document um, that lays out the whole book. And, you know, we put that all together and then, uh, you know, had it shopped around to some publishers and ended up with uh, William Morrow, which is uh, the same publisher that was behind like an American Sniper and, um, mm, you know, a bunch of. Yeah, they're they're a big publisher. Um, uh, definitely um, really psyched to, you know, have them to help us go forward with this. Now, I'll be spending a pretty good portion of 2020 working on that. Um, I'm trying to kind of get ahead of the coffee or die content right now so that I can take some time and really focus on, you know, it, it's one thing it, that article was a lot of work to get right. And there's a lot of pressure because this is a, this is a hero. She's got sons, you know, two, two young sons left behind that, you know, are going to be young enough. That's going to be hard for them to remember her when she's older. And so these things, you know, getting this right really matters. And this book will be an even bigger challenge to take on. But uh, I do feel like, you know, uh, you know, me and Joe have a good relationship and he's psyched to have her story out there. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try to, I think I'm a, I think I'm a decent writer and, you know, I have an understanding of the special operations community that she came from. So I think I'm kind of uniquely positioned to hopefully do it as good as one could possibly uh, do it. So I, I thought the article um, was amazing actually. And I think it highlighted a lot of what maybe people didn't know about her in the past and from the special operations. Cause I think initially when the story came out, 
nothing was really said about her role, what she did or anything else. It was, it was just her, her name was there as part of, you know, the, the four guys and everything. And it was much different um, and told very differently whenever you published the article and everything, you know, then it, then everybody started understanding, oh, wow. Okay. Now I'm starting to get this picture. You know, and we, yeah. and we talk a lot about, you know, in previous episodes about women in special operations. And I mean, and it's been going on for a long period of time in various roles. Uh, but it's really good to see a story like this get highlighted from, you know, the way it was and, and portrayed the way it was. I'm one that's actually looking forward to reading the book because yeah. the article was amazing. No, thank you. And uh, yeah, you know, to that point. Shannon was, you know, this is what we try to tell publishers. And, you know, Shannon was a woman in special operations before women were in special operations. She was there before anybody started talking about it, before it started being brought up in the, what was it around 2011, 2012, that really started coming into the national consciousness. Right. She'd been doing it for, you know, me and her served in the same task force back in 2007, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time. Oh, really? Uh, But yeah, I mean, she's got pictures in the same you know, in, I can literally see my two up above where she's standing in one of her pictures. And then she's got a group photo right in front of the little uh, place. You know, it, it was called Camp Lewis. Uh, you know, I've got a group photo right in front of the same sign. I mean, it's it just incredible. So she was out there doing this stuff. And she had, um, you know, the Iraqis, they they all all the Iraqi special operators there was like a le- that's why we called it the legend of Shannon Kemp. They were all talking about this redheaded chick from America who could speak better Iraqi than them in, in the specific dialects and was rolling out with like her and one other dude to go roll around Baghdad and do source meets like yeah by them you know like just these incredibly ballsy things that nobody really understands what she was doing and then she you know went to a lot more of like the direct action role in 2010 for her deployment to uh, Afghanistan working alongside SEALs and you know, obviously, um, as I kind of inferred in the article, and we'll go into a little bit more depth in the book, but ended up at, you know, uh, a special missions unit that not a lot of people have heard of out there. You know, everybody's heard of SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a part of a, a different, you know, kind of corner of that world and uh, just absolutely breaks the mold on what people because I think most people when they think about women in special operations right now. They think um, the cultural support teams. Yes. And things like that. And you know, I think those are a great, uh, you know, value add to the mission, especially kind of that SF working by through and with mission. I think that's a great addition. But Shannon was, you know, I don't think many people realize that there were people like Shannon out there doing the things that she was doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing that I tried to explain is, you know, I watched, uh, you know, back when Wonder Woman came out in theaters, you know, uh, my my wife and my sister went to that t- together and they walked out of that with like tears in their eyes about finally there's a, a a female protagonist on the screen that's like badass you know and with this i i can't help but think like why does it take a made-up character a comic book character to to be that person to be that badass female protagonist like i want this book to be something that i can give to my daughter and uh you know give to my sister give to my wife and, and she'll be like this is a real life wonder woman like yeah. this is the real deal this person existed it wasn't just a it didn't come out of a comic book writer's imagination this was a real human you know yeah. um sadly though so, it'll still be you know received as well she was one and she was the only one we you know that type of thing it'll never be widely accepted for probably a number of years 
because like you said, it's usually CST roles. That's all they look at it. They never want to talk about anything else. And of course, you know, our military doesn't talk about it because that's not something that we want out there, right? So yeah. your book's going to really bring something forward while at the same time frame, I believe it's going to be here within the you know short time frame, if not already, we're going to have our first, uh, potentially our first female special forces Green Beret. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's others that's already within the pipeline. So yeah. over time, this is going to become a lot more, you know, acceptable, I guess, if you will, and stuff. When more start coming out, when news starts coming out more about it, your book will be the one I think that'll be the like the, what people will go to. Sort of like um, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 story of the CSTs um, that's out there. Gosh, why can't I think of the name right now? Uh, Ashley, yeah, Ashley Story. Um, mm-hmm. So you know that book there opened the door for people to understand about CSTs and that there were women within the fight serving long rangers and Delta and SEALs over there in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan during the early GWAT days. Yeah. I mean, those are incredible stories too. And I've talked to, so the CSTs, they came in, they started being, uh, you know, used in, uh, at that level shortly after I left Ranger Battalion. So I never had any personal interaction with them myself, but have had more than a few friends that have worked with them and uh, specifically, you know, Ashley White and uh, Jennifer Moreno and, and some of these others like, literally saved Ranger lives on yeah. target. You know, um, there's some there's some pretty cool stories out there. Uh, but, you know, I know at least for what I'm diving into here with Shannon, I'm 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 psyched about it. I'm I. You know, it's been a while since I've done a book and I'm excited to be back in that author role again. It, it's kind of weird to be like, oh, I'm excited about this because it's happening because somebody died, right. you know, right. a mother, a, a wife, a, a daughter, like, you know, somebody that was a real uh, force multiplier for the military, for the special operations community. Like, this is an incredible person that we lost. Um, that being said, I can't change that. So I am I am excited to, to you know, to be able to tell this story and, and to be able to hopefully, you know, put a role model out there that people can look up to. You know, even posthumously. Yeah. I want to go to one of the posts that you recently had on your social media that reflects more on you and your time in combat, and especially with uh, 75th Ranger Regiment. And, you know, you started, you know, kind of sharing that over time, you began to forget a lot of the stories, a lot of the people that you, you know, serve with or the things that happened along the way. And what I said to you at that time frame was, well, that's probably a good thing in some ways, right? Because, you know, you're not always remembering all the bad. It's not something that's, you know, sticking with you. But there's also some of these good stories that, you know, is, is starting to slip away. And you started journaling a lot more to help remember mm-hmm. those things. And um, I I thought it would be really good to kind of talk about that because there's really two sides to this whole thing. You know, there's the the side that we we kind of want to forget, but yet there's also this other side that's healthy for us to remember and reflect on those individuals that we end up serving with. Yeah, it's, you know, it's strange that uh, this, we actually just are talking about this now. I was, so my younger brother's a paramedic now, works in Minneapolis and, uh, in the rough part of town in Minneapolis and the things he sees as a paramedic are just, I mean, honestly, at least in quantity, they dwarf what I saw in combat, you know, um, the stuff that he's doing day in and day out. And, you know, he said something to me the other day over text that, uh, really stuck with me of, I wish my eyes would forget the things that I see. And, um, 
or, or I, I wish that I wouldn't remember the things that my eyes see or, you know, something to that effect. And that mm-hmm. really struck me. And so I think that there is definitely two sides to this. That being said, he's been writing stuff down a lot more. I wish I would have wrote more. I wish I would have known I was going to be a writer one back when I was, uh, you know, in, in battalion. But uh, there's, it's not so much, I think people assume that, the only thing that happens in war is bad things or things that you don't want to remember. And I think a lot of people have this view of like, Oh, well, my grandpa never wanted to talk about world war two. So right. it must've just been terrible. No, I guarantee grandpa just thought, yeah, you know what? It's too complicated. I can't, you know, and, and maybe it does bring up certain bad memories to try to explain to grandkids or something. You know, I don't know. Guarantee grandpa had plenty of stories that he still, you know, joked around with his buddies in the basement of the VFW with, you know, right. Like, there is a lot of really positive stuff that happens. You know, some of the closest relationships you'll have are forged in, in war and combat in the military in general. Um, obviously at least in modern day times, war is only one part of the military experience that, you know, you don't go away for war, you know, for four years at a time, like you did back then it's now it's, you know, you're, you're back and forth if you're, if you go at it for long enough. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I wish I would have wrote more back then. I wish, I, it, you know, I'll get into these conversations now with people that I served with where they'll bring, oh, hey, do you remember this? Remember, oh, shit, I completely forgot about that. And you don't even realize that you're forgetting when it happens because I even at this point now think like, man, what the heck happened in between? It was like one day I was taking, you know, my beret off and on my way up to New York from Savannah. And before I know it, I'm here with a, you know, probably couldn't run a, run a ranger standard five mile anymore. And, 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 oh my gosh, it's been, uh, in, uh, a couple weeks ago in December, it was exactly 10 years from the time that I returned from my last combat deployment, yeah. 10 years, where the fuck does time go? Yeah. I don't yeah. know if this is a swearing podcast, yeah. but <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's how you feel, you know, and, and you start to forget these things, you know, like, man, I, I, I wish I could remember all of them. I wish I would have wrote more back then because even if I start writing now, and certainly I should start writing now because, you know, I'll, if I, if I'm already forgetting stuff at this point, I'll forgotten even more t- another 10 years from now. So better late than never, I think. And I think that's a good message for anybody out there that's, that's listening to this better late than never start writing your memories down. But, um, you know, you just don't even realize, man, it's been 10 years and all the stuff that you've already forgotten, just the little things, you know, little things that I was actually reminded of when I go back over for these embeds and, you know, that crunch of the P-Rock under your boots, the P-Rock that's all over these, these fobs, you know, uh, you know, surf and turf and, and going to the DFAC and, you know, the things that they do on the holidays and, you know, some things just, some things haven't changed, you know, and they, they kind of brings back all that stuff. Um, I've actually on some of my embeds even ran into a couple of guys I was with not knowing they were there in the DFAC, like, holy shit, like, this is a, this is strange, man. Like <laughs> last, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's really started to weigh on me a little bit more, especially as I've gotten more into writing and realized the value of writing stuff down and realize the value of having stories and, and remembering the little details and, and the things that really do round out a story, you know, yeah. uh, people don't have a hard time remembering the, the high points and the low points, you know, those, those fence post moments, it's the stuff in between that starts to fade, you know, um, and, uh, and I think that's the stuff that, you know, I try to tell people like, whether you think you're a writer or not, sit down, just, Hey, remember, um, just, you know, five senses. What did you smell? What did you see? What were you hearing? You know, that's going to start bringing back a lot of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, whether it was the best of times or the worst of times, that's going to help. That's that's a starting point. That's a foundation. Then you can kind of start to fill in the blanks from there. But uh, yeah, I think it's really important. I've had a lot of people tell me that that have taken up writing that it's therapeutic. Um, you know, I don't know. For me at this point, I don't know if I see it as therapy so much as it is just it's my occupation at this point. It's it's work. When I sit down to write, it's it's almost hard for me to sit down and enjoy writing because it is work. You yeah. know. Um, yeah. Yeah, but then, but, you know, you think like uh, 10 years from now, if, if we were to fast forward, if you hadn't written these stories down or if you're you're not, if you don't write these stories down, better yet, and we fast forward 10 years from now, I may, hey, you remember Ricky and, you know, that thing you did and to be like, ah, oh, man, you know, vaguely, it's, I, I kind of remember, it's just not going to be the same. But the fact that you wrote it down, I'm sure at some point you'll pick it back up again. You'll pick that journal back up. You'll pick that document back up. If nothing else, to go down memory lane or something. And you'll start reading some of these things. And even it'll either become more vivid uh, and you'll realize some things, some things perhaps that you even forgot within the story. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you're going to think, oh, my God. Time has gone by so far. I don't even remember that. Thank God I even wrote that down because that's hilarious, you know, of what happened there. You know, I don't know about you, Scott, if that's something that you do. Do you journal? I don't. And and the worst part of it is I've got a a terrible memory as it is. But I think that's the beauty of reunions or get-togethers, you know, and to our own discredit, I think the, the most times we do them now is that remembrance um events and when you get people together and you're in that comfort zone of being with people who shared the same experience with you you feel a lot more comfortable with reminiscing and letting the the truth come out but uh, as you said marty you know when often when people are with people who wouldn't understand it it's 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 too complicated it is too complicated to talk about it and what went on and particularly that you know the a lot of the good times we have is based on dark humor and if if you haven't been there and had that experience you just people wouldn't get it and wouldn't find it appropriate and and possibly think a little bit less of you for for being that way or finding that thing funny or whatever it was and you know, it, when when you're together with a group of people, you can you can have that shared experience and really let things come out. And you know, if if guys do write it down, then get the book out the next day and just put it back down when it's all fresh in your mind, and you'd be glad of it in the end because in ten years' time you can pick that back back up. Well, we don't have a VFW and stuff like that as well, right nowadays. And so a lot of times these guys are getting off active duty or gals or whatever. They're going out and all over the the fifty states and different locations, and you know, away from their veteran brothers and sisters, and they don't have that sense of community any longer. Yeah. Well, and to your point about people thinking less of you, I just like to set the bar really low, and then I don't have to worry. <laughs> about that. Uh, n- no. I, 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 I do think that, yeah, you know, the VFW is not really a thing anymore. I think that there's some great veteran service organizations out there like, you know, Team Red, White and Blue or Team Rubicon where you're getting veterans together and doing something positive. You know, I think that's actually the, the next generation of the VFW where it's like, hey, instead of sitting in the basement and drinking, uh, let's go out and make the world a little bit better place. Let's continue right. that service. Yeah. Um, that was kind of uh, the reason that we most of us joined the military in the first place. Um, so, yeah, but. You know, I don't think, uh, I, I think, you know, if you're not going to do it for yourself, 
you know, and some people are real self-loathing in that way. If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your kids, do it for your grandkids, do it for family history, do it for posterity. If anything else, just look at the fact like, hell, the only reason we know what we know about the Civil War is because we had some knuckle draggers out there scratching something down in their journals. And and those, you know, soldier diaries are, are you know, really important for history. So yeah. if, you, if you're not going to do it for yourself and you hate your future grandkids already, then just, you know, do it for... <laughs> Do it for God and country again, you know? Yeah. I think it's really, really important stuff. Yeah. I love the effect about the, the grandkids or whatever kind of thing, because I think, you know, as, as time goes on, not only are you forgetting your stories, but the people later on are not going to know that much about you. They might see a photo. They may hear about, you know, your name or something of that nature. But this is an opportunity truly for them to pick it up and go, damn, this guy was a really cool guy. You know, mm-hmm. look at, or look, look at the stuff they did or my, oh my God, that's an hilarious story. I've got to, you know, share that or whatever the case. Anyway, journaling is very therapeutic, but I think too, there's that other side of it that people tend to not want to live within on the dark side of it. Those moments where they don't want to journal because they don't want to pick up and remember those opportunities. Well, if nothing else, pick up and start talking about the very good stories, you know, talk about those good times that you had. Yeah. You know, start somewhere for sure. I think it. I think it is good to push yourself out of your comfort zone, but you don't have to start there. And if you never get there, I mean, who's there to judge you? Nope. You know, it's you're you're your only critic when it comes to you know journaling or writing or putting any of that stuff down. Um, but yeah, you know, when it comes to these stories and how people remember you, and um, I just think about you know some of these guys that I know now who just their exploits in the military and what they did in war and stuff were, you know, they could all have their own book if they wanted to probably, you know, and, you know, now they, you know, they got out of the military and made a full transition. They're not, you know, one of these, uh, I think people call them professional veterans, you know, they're, um, you know, they, they're off doing some completely unrelated job in the real world that, you know, they're, I'm sure their coworkers maybe know like, Oh, you know, so-and-so was in the army or something, I think, you know, but that's not a part of their everyday vernacular or anything, you know, it's not a part of that. And I'm sure for like their kids or something, it might be like, Oh, dad's got a picture on the wall or something with a bunch of guys in uniform, but that's where it ends. You know? Um, you know, I think if you have those journals away somewhere, it's, it'll give context someday to where, you know, here's the story behind the people in that photo with me, you know, um, here's, here's what I did before I became a real estate agent or a, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a carpenter, you know, what, whatever it is that people go into to doing, you know, I think for me, it's like, you know, just by nature of what I do, you know, my daughter is very aware that I was in the army, you know, and uh, she wasn't born yet or anything like that, but she was very aware, you know, my wife was with me through four out of five deployments and knew most of my friends and definitely heard us talk and shop over beers enough times to probably know. <laughs> she probably remembers more about my time in the service than I do. Um, yeah, but, uh, mine too, she reminds me of it often. Yeah. When I start thinking and reminiscing about the good days then sort of like, yeah, yeah. Well, let, let, let me tell you about that time that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I mean, if you're, if you're one of those people who like, you know, you, you did your four years and you got out and you met your wife afterwards and she doesn't know anything about like, Oh yeah, I know you were in the army, but that's about all that they know about it. or the Navy or whatever it may be. I keep using the army, but yeah. um, you know, and then you had kids and your kids don't know anything about that. You went into a different line of work where nobody else really knows about, again, maybe they might know that you were in the military, but if that, and um, you know, it's kind of like you have this whole chapter of your life that is just, you know, nobody really knows about maybe that's the way you want it but 
again, for posterity's reasons, uh, maybe you should write some of that stuff down. You should have a record somewhere to give context to the random, you know, things you got locked away in your closet, both uh, metaphorically and literally. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's. It's not going to hurt to do it. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. It's only only good things can come out of writing that stuff down, um, and uh, you know, at least having some sort of record, whether it's a little bit of what you experienced, all of it, or somewhere in between. You know, I think it's. I think it's a good thing. I encourage people to to look into it at, at minimum. You know, even if nobody ever reads it or ever sees it. Sad part is most people don't print photographs anymore. And I mean, they do it all digitally. And you think, you know, the the older photographs, you might have a picture on the backside, somebody or even over the person's face. You know, they they write the the names. You know, this is Eric or this is, you know, Jones. I don't remember his first name or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, And nowadays it's all digital. We end up losing our thumb drive. The computer crashes. We don't save or back up the memory. All of it's lost. And so so. You know, to, to tie this in with Shannon Kent, one of the incredible things that I have to work with is Shannon was so forward thinking that she would take at the end of every year all the photos from that year, all the printed out photos that she had, scan them in and print them off into a book with captions for both family life stuff, you know, our kids, all that sort of stuff, getting married, as well as her deployments and stuff. She was that forward thinking of like, she realized I don't want this stuff to just live on Facebook. Like scrapbooks, or, or just, you know, that type of thing or? Not, I mean, but like actual printed books, like, you yeah. know, through these like Photo printing books. services. Yeah. Like through these photo services that are out there where you oh, can yeah. get all your pictures and they'll put it into like a hardcover book for you. Yeah. It's, I mean, incredible. So we've got most of her adult life chronicled via her pictures, names, what I was doing, what I was feeling through all these years, you know, pictures of her in DLI, the defense language Institute, you know, Navy basic training all the way, you know, deployments, uh, you know, having her kids, like all these things. And I was just like, man, you know, and everybody that I've told about this, like, I need to do that. And I feel that way of like, I need to do that. I need to print these out. Cause I don't have, I have photo albums. They end out. I think I was a junior in high school. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. Right. Which is about the time MySpace became a thing. And, you know, and shortly after that Facebook and right, it, you know, it's just the photo album stopped there. Yeah. You know, it um, seems kind of odd, though. I don't know. In some ways, you you think of, uh, yeah, uh, you know, hey, go over there and grab that book from, uh, you know, two thousand one. Let's uh, let's do. The- it almost feels a little narcissistic or a little, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It it feels odd. But to your point, when you're you're talking about somebody that's removed, it could even be your son or daughter. You know, later on, it could be your spouse. You know, if something, God forbid, ever happened to you, it could be whomever that happens to pick up that book and see it chronological, the way you're talking about it, and well laid out, where people can see the names in these photographs, they can hear the story, maybe perhaps in a paragraph that goes along with it. Hey, that's that's really cool. Or if they do want to look into more of your past, there's at least a starting point there. Yeah, there's at least a importantly a chronological record of like oh this happened before this or this happened after this because of where you put this photo and i think that's really important i know as somebody that's writing a book on somebody that's no longer with us is extremely helpful um and i know you know those will be uh really important you know not everybody uh you know, that passes away prematurely is going to, you know, have a book published about them. That's just the sad truth of, of the matter. Um, but, uh, you know, I think if, if more people were doing that, there'd be at least be a record for their family to go back or something for their kids to look through. Or it's just, again, 
only good things can come from it. Yeah. You, you know, could even title maybe, the blank pages, my proudest moments, you know, yeah. and, and kind of leave them blank. So that nobody has to look at the photos or anything and know what actually happened. I think I'm, I'm, I'm one of these people that, Everything lives on my phone. I've got about twenty three thousand photos on my phone, going going back from the birth of my first daughter when digital was kind of just coming into being a thing. And you know, everything lives on my phone. And and very very rarely do we actually get anything out in print now. And you know, when when I served in the army, digital cameras literally were just coming into being. I remember when when I went to Afghanistan in 2002 and we had a sharp digital camera and I swear to God it was the size of a, a, a shoebox, you know, and it was about three megapixels and we'd use it for um, taking photos of um, uh, munitions uh, and, you know, keeping a record of that and, we we kind of you know we we take a couple of photos of ourselves in in good places and and nobody ever could get them off the thing because you had to plug it into the military laptop and and nobody could get you you know we didn't have thumb drives and things like that but every everything now lives in the cloud for me and I, I think it's such a great idea that you said uh, Marty about you know Shannon the end of every year taking everything out and putting it in books it's it's there's there's something about uh, you said it, Rob. If you've got them in your house on a coffee table or whatever it is, if people come round, somebody will pick it up and say, "What's this? What happened to you?" And it's a starting a conversation starter, isn't it? And you know that's the beauty of having a physical photo in a frame or in a book or whatever it might be. And it, it's a conversation piece. But when it's on the cloud, you know you don't say, "Oh, give us your phone. Let's have a look and scroll through your photos." Yeah, your forty thousand photos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I hate that too because there has been a couple of situations where I want to show somebody a picture and I have to sit there and scroll through, you know, my Instagram feed or something like that to try to find what I'm talking about. And it's just embarrassing because it kind of like halts the conversation right there yeah. of yeah. hold on while I pull my phone out and, and scroll through yeah. for five minutes. You know, it's kind of like, all right, well, <laughs> I guess I knew, I'm going to go. I knew it was sometime in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> What's worst of this whole thing is that if you're like me, who I get to some point where I don't want to keep all those photos on there. So if I notice that I put it on social media somewhere, Facebook page, Instagram, whatever the case may be, I delete it off my phone. So if I ever close my Facebook, my, you know, any social media account that those photos were on, well, then it's all lost because I took it off the phone. I put it on the social media because I didn't want it in on the phone any longer. To take so you space. can download your entire Facebook account. You can download all the information on it into a folder on your computer. I've done that a few times just out of paranoia. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. did you know about that, Scott? I didn't know about that. I, I, everything's on my phone. I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recently had to upgrade my iCloud because I, I'd run out of the 200 gig. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's a lot. But yeah. It's... um. I mean, you, obviously, Robert, you remember when cameras, you had to put the gunpowder in them for the flash. <laughs> Not quite that bad, but I will say that, you know, back in the day, we didn't stop and take our photo moments and stuff. Whereas nowadays, I mean, you see these, you know, high definition photos of these guys in Iraq and Afghanistan, even some of those that go back as much as five, six years ago. 
that are really some of them are really cool photos um or you have pao that's following you around taking photos and everything whereas back in the days there was none of those as well so you, somebody may end up capturing that moment for you uh, today i mean back in the day we, we just didn't do that we didn't all of a sudden stop the ftx or you know gunnery or whatever we were on at that time frame if you're over in germany you have to go through reforger back in the day it wasn't like we stopped and go oh hold on let's get this cool action moment on film it wasn't quite as bad as you described but it also wasn't a high-tech camera either yeah i actually so a lot of these videos that we're doing for coffee or die and the, these stories i think it's um, so we just put out one. Speaking of Germany, I went out to Hohenfels and oh, uh, remember that place. Yeah, so went out and covered a big exercise out there called Saber Junction, and mm. uh, and so we just put that episode out, and it followed. Uh, there was an ODA from Fifth Group, an ODA from Tenth Group, uh, a National Guard, uh, Air Force National Air National Guard unit out there that we went along for some rides on for some heavy drops. Uh, the One Four Infantry that was uh, the plays the Op Four out there. All sorts of stuff, put this great video together, all this stuff. And we've already had a few people kind of hit us up in comments like, hey, it's hard to kind of explain to my family back home what I do or what that looks like. This video does that for me, you know, and, and I think that's pretty cool because certainly I don't I have next to no videos of anything I did. Never mind. That was kind of in that in between time where I've got a couple of pictures, but not as much as like a lot of the guys that do kind of post 2009, 2010. Um, those guys have a lot of pictures. Mm-hmm. Advent of the cell phone, the iPhone, all that. Um, but I'd like to think that these videos, it's like, man, not only do you probably have some pictures and some selfies with your boys, but now there's like these videos out there that are, you know, 4k footage of you doing your thing, you know, yeah. making you look like a rock star yeah. in these, what are actually like kind of mundane training events, but, uh, they look really cool when you edit it together and put some music to it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what's next for you, Marty, other than writing the book, what's going yeah. on? Yeah. Um, so I'm taking off, uh, in a week and a half to uh, rendezvous with the uh, Air Force Special Operations Command for, um, I think I'll be meeting up with them in New Mexico and we'll be flying up to, uh, to Alaska uh, for some stuff that they're doing up there. Uh, going to be documenting that. I um, uh, got a couple of other stories that are kind of in the mix that I don't really want to put out there yet, but across the military, some dealing with the special operations community again. Um, really trying to be that, you know, Ernie Pyle. Um, not that I'm comparing myself to him, but like I want to follow in his footsteps a little bit of, you know, the news they tend to focus on what's the general have to say or the colonel or the politician. And I'm kind of like, well, why don't we go out and tell some stories of just like Joe on the ground, Joe and Jane on the ground doing their thing, you know? And so really trying to do that both through video, through photos, through the written word. Um, I'm going to try to I'm in the process of trying to front load as much of that as I can for the year in these uh, kind of the next month or two before I um, kind of slow down a little bit on the coffee or die stuff so I can focus on writing the book. And then hopefully again, towards the end of the year, I'll kind of ramp back up with the coffee or die stuff and do some more cool stories there. But, you know, it's been a pretty wild ride so far, you know, coffee or die and, and, you know, black rifle allowing us to do what we do as far as traveling around the world and telling these really cool stories. It's, you know, um, I can't wait to see what we're what we're going to do next. You know, I kind of know what's happening in the next month or two. But outside of that, it's, you know, uh, U.S. military is in like, I think, 180 countries around the world. So, you know, if I can, you know, tell as many of those stories as I can, I'm going to do that. And as well, as, you know, it's not all an international thing. It's, 
you know, like I said, going up to Alaska, doing some stuff around here. We did a story last year on Best Ranger competition. Um, yep, I was know. there. That uh, so you're going to be there again this That's year? Right. Yeah. No, I won't be doing it again this year. Um, just because point kind of going into the book writing mode there. But uh, no, we we put a good pretty good video out on that. I was pretty happy with that, and uh, and uh, yeah. So you know, we'll see where we go next. There's a lot of other. I think at some point we want to try to get out to the, I think it's the international sniper competition. That's kind of one that's on my to-do list. And uh, I'd love to get over to, uh, I think it's Vietnam or somewhere in Thailand, maybe for uh, Cobra gold, Mm. Um, that big one. So I'd I'd love to get over there. There's, you know, there's kind of a few different things on my to-do list is that I'm sure we'll get around to. And I think the military too. Yeah. They're starting to, you know, at when you first hear like coffee or die, what the, you know, Uh, but we've got a little bit of a track record now. And I think we're usually, you know, when I go out there, it's kind of like, Hey guys, you don't have to worry about me too much. I'm was in the military. I know how to snap into a helicopter, you know, how to be safe around aircraft or military equipment. I, I, you know, I've been there, done that, you know, and things haven't changed so much in the past 10 years that I've, you know, don't know my way around. So I think it's kind of a relatively stress-free experience for the military people and, you know, what that's like to accommodate embedded media and, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, we'll see where we go next. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to have you get back on again to catch up again about some of the things that you're describing there and see how those went. Marty, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, brother. Hope you, uh, you have a good one. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, can't wait to talk again.